Welcome to the Humanize the Numbers podcast series. Leaders, managers and owners of ambitious accounting firms sharing insights, successes and issues that will challenge you and connect you and your firm to the ways and means of transforming your firm's results. That's only part of the story. You know, that we're talking about history. The numbers of tons history. We're so much more interested in the future and where we're wanting those numbers to go, where we want the business to be. So, you know, history is really important, understanding the business, why it's why it is like it is. You know, is it being run as well as it could be? Um, but, you know, this decision making is what is the decision about? It's about where next? What are we doing next? And this is like this, in a way, this weekly cadence that I had, you know, when I was helping to run a business. It's what do we need to do? And, you know, let's have those regular check-ins so that we can make sure that we're going in the right direction. And, you know, we, we, we're setting out what that route needs to be, but um, we need to be talking about what it is within the business that we can do or need to do to make that happen. In a highly volatile, high-change working world, the one we now live in, you as a business leader, as a leader and manager of an accounting firm are going to be facing challenging issues, difficult times for yourself, your firm, your team. But imagine how tough it must be for a general manager to ensure she keeps a highly motivated team whilst that team are doing all the work necessary to lose their jobs because their work was going overseas. This podcast with Gay Prime, where Gay, a qualified accountant, talks about her experience as a general manager and her experience as a finance director in other businesses, shares some really valuable insights into change, building great teams, the power of communication, and more. Let's go to that podcast now. Hello, my name is Gay Prime. I'm a fully qualified accountant, SEMA qualified, and I've been in the profession for longer than I care to remember. Um, my background is very much as a, a finance person in industry, and I've had a number of roles, um, and I cons- consider my experience to be very broad and very deep. I'm a mother of two gorgeous girls and I have a wonderful husband who has enabled me to uh, really develop my career in such a way that um, our roles have been totally reversed and I've been extremely well looked after um, for most of my life with my husband having at times um, needing to show me how to use the washing machine. Um, My eldest daughter will be 30 this year and gets married um, in March, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, my youngest daughter um, is in the digital marketing um, sector, and I'm learning a lot as a result of that too. Brilliant, brilliant. So again, in terms of your current role, your current responsibility, your current focus, where, where, where are you at? What are you doing? Right, well, um, my... One of the last roles that I had actually was as a general manager for um, a UK right. division, uh, manufacturing division of a very large US corporate business. And um, when I took over that role, I was then asked to um, transition the manufacturing overseas. Um, and that meant that uh, unfortunately I became redundant, I made myself redundant, um, as well as, yeah. as most of the, the staff there too. Um, once I'd finished that position, which uh, was a wonderful job actually, and worked with a wonderful team, um, considering what we were going through, we were very successful mm. in in actually growing the business in terms of sales. Um, but we also did the transition um, to get the manufacturing overseas too, and and I decided mm. I needed to take a bit of a career break um, in terms of. Of, of doing that sort of role. Um, I'd learnt an awful lot, and I, but one of the things I really did enjoy was actually working with a team um, and developing that whole business mm. um, and making such a difference. Um, I found as I've gone through my career that cash flow uh, management and really planning and making sure that I understand how the business is 
uh, the direction that the business is going in and that I can actually influence that and, and make that happen um, has meant that cash flow um, has been one of the main things that I've, I've really done and concentrated on. And I decided that what I would do mm is I would um, set up my own business and concentrate on on cash flow forecasting because I felt that um, mm. having spoken to quite a few business relationship managers, um, you know, the top accountancy firms, uh, cash flow, uh, integrated cash flow forecasting uh, P&L account balance sheet was something that really isn't done very well out there in the industry. And I felt that I'd had yeah. so much experience at this that I could make a difference. And so I decided to, to go out there on my own to do that. Brilliant, brilliant. So that, that's a brilliant segue into um, the, the question I, I typically start the podcast around, which is given your experience and very much as that, you know, you, that large corporate transitioning to overseas, um, but more widely in terms of your experience Okay. What, what does the phrase humanise the numbers mean for you? What, what, how would you unpack that based on your experiences? Right. Um, at the end of the day, business is all about people. Um, and in, in order to be successful, um, you can't do everything yourself. You have to make sure that everybody's on board with you. Um, and if they don't understand what you're trying to achieve, what those numbers mean... Um, how are you going to make it happen? How are you going to deliver it? Then it's not going to happen. And, um, mm. you know, you can try and do it um, on your own. But I, I've one of the main things I've managed to do, I believe, in, in every role that I've undertaken is build a team. Um, build a team that has worked so well to actually uh, deliver performance and improve the business. Right. So as a, as a lifelong finance expert, you're saying that it's actually more about the people than it is about the numbers. Have I understood that right? Um, it's they're not um, mutually exclusive. They, it has to be about both. Right. And I, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. But I've deliberately led with humans, then numbers, as opposed to numbers, then humans, partly because as a profession, accountants naturally have that numbers obsession when actually the uh, results the performance comes from ensuring that the team stuff the people stuff works best and then the work in and around the numbers is you know you don't lose that focus but there's got to be a balance hasn't there mm. is that about right do you think yeah that's right and i've worked with yeah feel, so free, to with, um, feel free to disagree feel free no, to no, disagree feel no 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 i'm gonna no what I wanted, what I want, the point I want to make really is that, you know, I've worked with lots of different types of um, directors, managing directors, vice presidents, etc. And uh, the ones that have really got the best out of me, which therefore then means successful business, are the ones that have valued me as a person um, and uh, have valued the team. Um, you know, they I've worked with people that have dictated what the situation needed to be and they haven't actually got the best performance out of out of people. Um, you know, I do it because I really believe in what I do and because I'm passionate about it and because I believe in what I'm trying to achieve, that passion comes across and people understand it and therefore they work with me. I think, um, you know, just being told you have to do something and not really explaining what that means and what the numbers mean and why you're doing what you're doing, it, it only gets you so far. It doesn't get you that that mm. really excellent performance that I always go for. Mm. And, and so the if and when, if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is if and when a team of people better understand not just what's expected, what the role is, what the responsibility is, but why it's necessary for the business, for them as an individual, their career and so forth, we're going to get a more meaningful, deeper connection with that person and that team as a result. And absolutely. I, yeah, and I think, right you know, at the end then? of the day, yeah, yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, you, you know, you cannot please everybody and you will not satisfy everybody's um view or aspiration but but if you can get the message across of what what you're trying to achieve uh, what the business is trying to achieve as a whole um and that 
you know, the, at the end of the day, we are doing the best that we can do with what we have, then then generally mm. you do get the buy-in. But you will never please everybody all of the time. Mm. Um, but I have to say, yeah. um, I've always considered it, and it's not been easy. Um, you know, when, I, when I've come across a difficult individual, um, I've never backed away from dealing um, actually confronting it and dealing with with what the problem is or it it's it's been a like mm. a personal crusade really to have to find out um, <laughs> what the problem is and then try to resolve it and, and make it better mm. yeah problem resolution's a, a, a key part of any any leadership role isn't it the mm. We're recording this the day after the autumn statement towards the end of um, 2022. Um, and so I'm really now interested in how you were able to engage with a team of people um, with the, in the big corporate that you're transitioning everything overseas and actually mm. engage with them in a meaningful way. It sounds as though from the way you describe it, that it was a good team, fully engaged, whilst also essentially their jobs being on the line. How? What yeah. was behind you being able to do that? I'm, I'm curious in terms of what specific things did you do that and enabled you to maintain team morale in a really difficult, challenging almost volatile space, which is sort of the economic environment we're living in at the moment. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, first and foremost, I think, um, when I became general manager, one of the things we needed to do was um, we were developing a product so that we could improve uh, the, the sales revenue. And I, I just got everybody in the room, um, the, the management team at this point, and, and said, right, I, you know, I, I am now working with the experts with, um, within this business. I cannot do what you do, but together we can do what we need to do. And so let's work together and make this happen. So that, that was the first, mm. the first step, really. It was about them understanding that we were working together as a team and that it, it, mm. um, that was the only way that we would actually make progress by uh, believing in each other and listening to each other and actually uh, agreeing the way forward. And we did that week by week um, and actually tackle problems together. So that, that was the first thing. Mm. Um, as we went through the, uh, the first year, um, what I decided to do was actually uh, do an employee, employee survey and to find out what every individual within the business thought um, the issues were within the business so that I could get a real handle on uh, what was concerning people, what we needed to, to actually tackle. Um, and so I think it was that engagement, the fact that I was, I was there to listen uh, to concerns um, and at this point, this was before we knew that um, we were having to transition the business um, overseas. But because we'd just been taken over, by the way, uh, by the, the mm. US corporate. Um, mm. So I think it was really the fact that people felt listened to, um, but not just listened to. Right. I actually acted on uh, or we. It wasn't I. It's never it's never just been me. You know, yeah. the team actually yeah. acted on what. Um, what people were saying and then I suppose mm. and then when the decision came that we had to actually um, undertake this program of transitioning overseas um, in, in a way you know because I was also going to be affected by this I think people took that from me uh, a lot easier um, and so they, again, worked with me because they knew that I was also uh, undergoing what they were undergoing. I could empathise. I really understood what they felt. Um, and, you know, we had mm. no choice at the end of the day, but we could make it the mm. best that it could be or make it difficult. And it was just so much easier to work together to make it make it work mm. for each other. And, and it was uh, mm. I, I look back on my career and you would think that would have been a really terrible, terrible time. But actually, the team were amazing. Mm. They were really amazing. And I, 
if you can enjoy such an experience. Um, I I really enjoyed working with that team to make that happen. Mm. What what made that team amazing, Gay? <laughs> uh, because we were working together, I think. Um, we, it, we and we were being successful in actually um, growing the business as well, um, which, which again sounds crazy, um, but but we were being fulfilled because what we were trying to do, uh, we were making great strides to improving the business. Mm-hmm. I want to pick up on something you, you said you, b- before you knew about the fact that it was going overseas. Uh, mm. You said that we're building this team. I'm I'm not the expert. You're the expert, but we can work together to make things work and develop a product. Um, and mm. you used the phrase, and we we did that week by week. What 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 was going on? What was the structure week by week that enabled that to happen? Yeah. Um, well, on a on a daily basis, my operations manager would come to you know just spend five ten minutes just to have a chat, see. Um, what we needed to be really uh, addressing that day and also to feedback on on the day before um but on a weekly basis what i would do is we we would it would be a small team um but we would sit in the boardroom and i got a a whiteboard and we would have a i would have a list of the the actions that we'd agreed we'd be taking um, after the meeting that we'd had the previous week and I would just have those on the board and then we would discuss whether or not we'd achieve what we needed to achieve if um, if we had great if we hadn't why not um, and and then we would decide what we would be doing for the rest of the week and we would come back and discuss that but we'd be talking anyway mm. on a daily basis of course, because there's those, the, the normal day-to-day interaction, those those, those conversations and, and, and problem resolutions are showing up. But I, the reason I asked the question about mm. the week by week, because I'm weekly obsessed. So we go into work with yeah. firms of accountants and, and typically an accountancy firm is not week by week obsessed. They're month, they've got a monthly rhythm to what they're doing. Uh, and they yeah. feel that, um, you know, a weekly check in some firms, not all firms, but some firms, some teams believe that weekly rhythm, weekly check in is using time that could be invested in actually doing some work. Whereas you, mm. you're developing <laughs> products, transitioning a business from the UK to overseas and taking a weekly rhythm. I, I just like your views on should it be monthly? Should it be weekly? You know, the daily stuff happens without structure mm. but you had a weekly structure that's why i've just zeroed in it because it's a passion of mine you know yeah. there's 52 opportunities yeah. in the year to be successful not 12 what are your thoughts yeah i think i think um and, and every again everywhere i go um weekly is is absolutely essential because um a lot can happen in a month <laughs> um and you know you can be very you can be very efficient about what you do but if that um, but being effective is something else and being efficient if if you're doing the wrong things then you are really not being effective and that's why you need that weekly checking because things change things happen and you may need to change course so um yeah you, you need to have focus in fact focus is one of my favorite words um i i think and I think the reason why you need to have a team check-in, and, and be, this is another point I'd really like to make, Paul, silo thinking. Um, I've worked in a number of business and, and corporate um, can be really uh, difficult for this, is that um, when, you, when you've got people who are um, organised into silos, what you're not getting is the holistic uh, view of the whole business. And I think the team needs to have that view of the whole business. Um, we don't work in silos. What, whatever, everybody affects everybody else, okay? Um, and so people need to get together to understand what everybody is doing, what the focus is, but also the the impact that they're having on each other. I think that's one of the things that I've learned that people don't, quite often don't realise 
that although they may be working very well in what they're doing, you know, they may have an impact elsewhere that they're just not aware of. And so it's important that people get together so that they can understand the issues that, you know, everybody else is having, really. But also share the successes, too. You know, we need to talk about those. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's almost as if there's... um you're bringing structure to people appreciating each other's perspectives, each other's issues and challenges and successes. It's it's like structure enables that deeper connection, uh, which isn't yeah. efficient, but is effective at ensuring that you've got that team approach to, um, to doing the work. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, um, I, um, I also have um, a, a saying, sorry, Paul, that, um, you know, everybody is a finance right? manager. Everybody is a finance manager in business, and I do mean everybody, because one way or another, you know, you're a resource. Um, your time is a resource, no matter what you do in the business, and you you utilise resources, so you are actually consuming um, finance one way or another. You are a cost and you you consume. So you need to be aware of that, and, and again, the impact that you have elsewhere. Mm. So how do you, it's interesting because I come from um, a sales and marketing background. So my, my perspective is everyone's selling, everyone's marketing, irrespective of the role in their business. <clears throat> but um, uh, often yeah. in some firms, some businesses, the leaders don't help each team member appreciate their impact on how they're marketing and selling. And what you're saying is, ensuring that we've got financial robustness built into what we do in our individual role as a team as a firm and so on um so you've just changed my thinking that because i've never i've never thought oh we've all got financial responsibility um just because my perspective is you know sales and marketing so i would think everything's going to be mm. uh, sales and marketing biased um that's it so everyone is a finance manager is an interesting phrase um and yeah. they've got cost obligations. But what about the, because um, this, this to a degree is a bit of a bugbear of mine, is uh, accounts brilliant at being cost conscious. But what about the value that that cost investment delivers? So more cost driven rather than value driven. Where, where, where are you at with that one? How does that show up in the way you have um, run the businesses and run finance teams? Okay, so uh, not just finance teams. Um it's recognising the value of each individual's contribution, actually. And and I think right. um, that's why it's so important that that is recognised throughout the business, no matter what, what role you do. Um, you know, if, you, if you're not doing it very well, then um, you're, not, you're not adding the value that you could be. Um, if you don't recognise the value and, and make people aware that you appreciate what they're doing and actually um, mm. the the impact and the contribution that what they do makes to the business. Um, I, I think it's mm. really, you know, at the end of the day, we don't work in isolation. Whatever we do, mm. we're doing because we're trying to make the business successful. And if we can make... Um, mm. the role and the job um, interesting and fulfilling, then you're more likely to be even more successful. Mm. So I think, you know, value, mm. go. It, it's not just finance. It's not just a number. It, it speaks to everything that we do and what we are. Mm. So I guess if we've got that um, finance, value, marketing, selling, everyone's got a... Uh, an aspect of their role connected to those four 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 elements then they're going to have a better appreciation of what they're doing therefore be more willing to invest themselves in what they're doing and you know you know if you look at and i, I made reference to this in in previous podcasts gay around and I, I, I love your idea of let's do a, a an employee survey uh, we, we've got a number of firms who are in the process of, of doing that and we're working together to unpack what needs to be done when we get the results back to ensure, like you say, action is taken. It's not just the survey for the sake of the survey. It results in something changing. Um, was Just back to that survey, was that something you designed yourself and used or did you buy something off the shelf and, and, and instigated that? How, how did you make that work? 
Um, no, it was something that we did ourselves, and um, right, I the and and it wasn't just what I produced. It was what you know what uh, I asked everybody for what they thought. So that you know this this went mm. out to everybody. You know what do you want to raise? Mm. How many people were in? Did you get? I'm 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 curious about the numbers now as much as the people element. But how yeah. many how many people were involved? You know how many in the team? How many surveys did you get back just so I can get a sense as to how effective that process was? Um, it was well. I mean, we were I suppose quite a small business, so um, about fifty of us, and um, I, right, okay. I think it was. I I can't remember the numbers exactly, but it was very sure. Um, I think it was nearly a hundred percent. Right. Okay. Okay. And have you have you got? Can, can yeah. you recall a sense of the sort of actions that resulted as a consequence of the survey? You know, the key I, findings I the, and therefore the key decisions you made. Uh -huh. You may not be surprised at this, Paul, but guess what? One of the the main things was communication. Um, right. Being uh, yeah, being a bit more open. Um, with the business but th this wasn't so much about our communication this was more the US corporate um, you know the feeling was that they were not really being told enough um, and, and that's you know mm. I could only influence so much on that there's only so much you can communicate yeah. um, but but that was something that got raised uh, the other thing was we we had distribution mm. in the US and um, they they the workforce definitely wanted us to be um, as management, making sure that we were um, really communicating the the requirements um, for production, um, starting a bit mm. sooner because we we were hitting Christmas deliveries and being impacted by um, airlines. We, we were being um, kicked off the the carriers. Uh, because they were wanting to get their mm. U, uh, Christmas distribution, you know, all the Christmas product on there. And, and that made it more expensive, which impacted on the performance of the business. Um, as management, we knew we knew that. But hearing it, um, you know, from the, the shop floor as well was useful um, because it was impacting mm -hmm. their lives, too, because, we, you know, we were getting too busy um, unnecessarily. Mm. It sounds like you, you, you're suggesting, and I, I, I definitely agree with this approach, is there's the more transparency about the performance of different aspects of the business being available to everybody, if not presented to everybody, uh, as well as communication around the importance of their role, the value of what they do, the financial implications, the sales and marketing implications, that communication piece equals transparency um, has got real merit. Um, can we segue somewhere slightly uh, different, okay, just because I've got a sense of some of the things that you're doing um, in this um, learning knowledge transfer space? Because, you know, as leaders, we're looking to share knowledge, be transparent around that knowledge. Um, but knowledge alone doesn't bring anything in particular. It's only if that knowledge turns into action and behaviours, decisions that result in changes. Um and if I can, I'd like to build a bridge between, you know, knowledge transfer learning. And if you can, and I've got experience of working with accounting firms as well as business owners, there's a, a triangle, you, business owner or mm. leader and, and, and finance, you know, accountants in practice, if there's any bridges there. What, what challenges do you see most in that um, knowledge transfer experience? This is a really good question, Paul, because um, my experience, okay, is that the the biggest, uh, I, I believe I am a bridge, okay, between the accountants in practice and um, the work that they're doing with the business owners, because I've worked in industry, um, you know, that's most, that really is virtually all my career. And, and so what I see mm -hmm. is um, the need for a change in mindset. Because um, most of what accountants in practice do has, has tended to be compliance. Um, and now, as so much is being automated in the accountancy world, um, there is a real need um, and, and there is a void for the SME um, 
for the business owners in the SME um, sector uh, where they need um, the advice of an accountant and they need that guidance, um, but they can't afford a full-time finance person. And and so we're seeing now accountants in practice wanting to, to actually uh, offer so much more uh, to business owners. But, mm. but what they need to understand is that... Um, how important it is to understand the mindset of running a business. And although you have the practice owners actually running their business, um, they they don't necessarily understand what it takes to run a business out there as a business owner in industry. And so that mindset shift has to be very much about understanding what the business is about. You, you can't... Um, expect to advise somebody or or help them with their numbers if you don't understand what the business is in the first place it's because it's not just about presenting numbers it really is about interpreting what those numbers mean why they are like they are why the business has been run like it is and what could be done to actually um, improve performance improve growth improve profitability it, it's not you know, the numbers are black and white, but there's a story behind those numbers. A story behind the numbers. Uh, that, that, if, if, if anything reflected humanised the numbers, it would be that, wouldn't it? Because within every story, there are characters. Um, yes. But you, you're pointing to the numbers, yes, but the interpretation of those numbers, the story that mm -hmm. tells. But uh, how does that influence the decision making? Because isn't that the, the, the piece here? The value is if a decision is made because the business, the SME business owner, now appreciates the impact, I think was one word you used, of what's going on in those numbers because the interpretation has been presented in a, a sound enough, clear enough, transparent enough way for that business owner. Where does that decision-making piece show up here? That's only part of the story. You know, that, we're talking about history. The numbers of tons history. We're so much more interested in the future and where we're wanting those numbers to go, where we want the business to be. So, you know, history is really important, understanding the business, why, it's, why it is like it is. You know, is it being run uh, as well as it could be? Um, but, you know, this decision-making is, what is the decision about? It's about where next what are we doing next and this is like this in a way this weekly cadence that I had you know when I was helping to run a business it's what do we need to do and you know let's have those regular check-ins so that we can make sure that we're going in the right direction and you know we, we we're setting out what that route needs to be but um, we need to be talking about what it is within the business that we can do or need to do to make that happen Brilliant. I, I, I talk from stage a lot in this with the accountants in practice in, in the in the audience gay around um, and, and I'm trying to pick up on your point about mindset so important and you know I think self view how you see yourself as a as, a, as an accountant which is hard for me to step into because I've not got an accountancy background um, but having worked with accountants in practice for 20 years I've got an, at least an appreciation as to what's going on but the self view is um, Yes, we're expert at numbers, the accountancy numbers, the P&L, the balance sheet, the cash flow forecast, um, as opposed to what if the self-view was one of business intelligence that facilitated the decisions? Wouldn't that all of a sudden change the way the profession and each individual accountant in practice sees themselves if they saw themselves instead of accountant as a business intelligence person and I know these are just words but I think words are important what are your thoughts on this shift from accountant to business intelligence of, of you, how do you react to that I, d I think business intelligence it's it I don't think they're words that people um, can relate to very easily right. okay it, it but it's yeah um but I but I do think um it you know, it really is about, um, yeah, understanding the business um, and you get the business intelligence from the, you know, you're gathering data. That's what you mean by that. Mm. Um, but it's, mm. it, you've got to make the business come alive. 
Um, and I think that's what makes the difference. It, it, for me, um, I, I get very excited when I, I, I work with people. I get passionate about what I see, what I, what I can learn, um, what contribution I can make, what difference I can make. And I think that value-adding um, experience is, is what makes people enthusiastic you know, it makes the accountant enthusiastic and the business owner too to be working together to to really make something quite magical happen um, together. And mm. I, you know, the business intelligence is, yeah, it's gathering the data, really gathering the understanding. But for me, the value is being able to work with that business owner in such a way that you can constructively challenge what they're what they're trying to do, uh, what their thinking is, and help them come up with the answers of what they need to be doing to actually take it forward. That's the business intelligence that gives you the ability to do that. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I say brilliant because the um, challenge is one thing, constructive challenge slightly different. Uh, and I just wonder if the profession and I know I'm going to get email and commentary to uh, drag me over the calls for being too generalistic here, but um, is it not that accountants uh, have their clients on a bit of a pedestal as opposed to seeing themselves as equal to the business owner so that they can constructively challenge? Because if there's a differential, the client's always right. They know their business better than I do. They're less likely to constructively challenge. So there's actually a, that self-image piece is coming back into play and they've got to get to a place where they go, mm. no, nah, it is our job to constructively challenge so that we can help them bring their business clarity, to use your language, bring the business alive in their own eyes, even though it's their business, so that they can make better decisions. But you see, do you see that as well, Gay? And, and I'm just wondering if there's, can you see ways and means of, arresting that um it's almost self-doubt i guess um maybe i'm being too uh, yeah. pointed with that but um no I, I completely agree and i think um I, I think as accountants in practice start on this journey that's inevitable that they're going to feel that um but but if you think about it what they're doing um is gathering experience uh, amongst their client base and so the, being able to challenge constructively is because they can see what works elsewhere what has worked elsewhere so you know although they may not um, know how to run that particular business what they will know is um, they will have seen what works elsewhere and so you know at the end of the day this is guidance it's helping and I think um, you need to believe that you can make a difference um, you can't run mm. their business for them but you can actually ask some really good probing questions to make them think um, and, and actually ju just take that time to um, to assess for themselves whether or not they're making the right decisions and doing the right thing. And that, that comes from experience. Mm. And as they um, accountants in practice gather that experience, they'll be able to do that mm. so much more comfortably. Yeah, so... I think what I'm hearing is there may be this differential in terms of how they see themselves relative to their business client, but the skill of asking probing questions about the finance actually narrows that gap, which then prompts, helps, facilitates a more constructive, challenging conversation and results in insight from the business owner. Um, what I like about that piece Gay, is that we're pointing to a key skill that can make the difference in those important one-on-one -on -one interactions between accountant and, and, and business owner. Um, and because we're sort of talking that sort of knowledge transfer, that learning piece, it's the business owner can learn from the accountant, the accountant can learn from the business owner, which is all going to be, isn't it, about around the questions. Yes, listening skills as well, um, with a view mm -hmm. to helping, guiding, making better decisions um, uh, and still I would nearly said but I'm not a big fan of saying the word but but and uh, yes the questioning is a good tool for 
um, knowledge transfer. So they come to a real, I think what you're saying is the accountant's got to help the business owner come to a realisation themselves rather than being taught. Have I understood that right? Or are you you pointing to something a little bit more pointed, if I can throw those two words in the same sentence? uh, This is very much about education, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're assuming that Mm. uh, the business owner is on top of all the numbers in the first place. And, um, you know, quite often they're they're just so focused on on, um, delivering the service or the product and uh, they don't necessarily understand how the all the numbers fit together and, and what needs to be done to make them actually um, go in the right direction and be the right numbers. So yeah, I think improve. it's very much about education. Yeah. And as you work with the business owner um, on a regular basis, what you're doing is you're really building that knowledge, that um, that understanding of the business. Hopefully you're, you are um, helping to um, improve things in such a way that they're making better decisions so you know that value and that understanding that education is being demonstrated continuously and so you're building the trust with the business owner and that relationship um, mm. it becomes so much stronger as a result of that yeah but I'm guessing your experience Gay will be when you say regular, you're talking weekly or monthly interaction around the key numbers, the key finances mm. of a business, whereas most firms, most client managers in firms uh, are having less uh, less contact than you would with a, 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 a team or a leader. Um, from stage, I've done, I've, I've done fun quizzes from stage with audiences of accountants and I've, I've done it one-on-one with teams, just trying to get to an assessment as to how often they're having a meaningful conversation with a business owner client in order to build trust. And they'll go, well, you know, we typically see the client once a year, you know, to present the year-end numbers. And that, that's regular, uh, but ain't necessarily going to build the levels of trust and knowledge and insight that you're talking about, is it? Not at all. Not at all. Um, and so uh, helping firms get to a place where they are in that guidance advisory role means that um, they've got to, ch- again, change the view of what they're doing, don't they? Or And that's that's not going to be easy because they're all running around like scattered cats doing lots and lots of work with hardly any time to mm. spit, as my mother would say, forgive me. <laughs> um, what do you see working in either business or in accountancy firms that you've worked with where they've they've done things in order to help free their teams up because knowledge transfer doesn't take place does it unless there's some space around which to learn it time in that's free enough for um, new knowledge new skill new habits to be developed what what do you see working in that um, freeing up of time so people can do a different better more valuable job okay well I I think one of the first things uh, to do is is to actually assess their own business. Um, you know, we're talking about helping business owners run their business better. Um, mm. Are they running their business as well as they could be? And, and I think one of the, the issues that we seem to come across is um, that client managers are actually having to uh, spend too much time doing um, work that should be done by uh, the bookkeeping role. Um, so whether that's internal or external, um, it's really important to get the right people doing the right thing regularly. Um, and and I think that's where the biggest hurdle is. So, you know, before you think you can take this out, out there to the business owners, what can you do to free up resource within your own business so that your your client managers can actually do that really value add work without being bogged mm. down? And and I think there's an awful lot that mm. can be done within um, accountants in practice with their businesses. Um, it, it's so important to to make sure that their own processes are addressed in the first place, that they are working as efficiently and effectively as they can be. Because, you know, the danger is that you go out there to do that business development, you onboard more clients, but actually you're not able to service them with the quality of service that they need, that they should have, um, that you are actually trying to sell to them because you, you know, you haven't sorted it out back at base in the first place. 
Uh, one of the challenges is what you've just said, Gaze, around, yes, right people doing the right thing in the, at the right time regularly mm. and improving yeah. processes. Um, and, and it's it's sort of easy to say, but the accountants who are trying to look at their business, you know, uh, tackling all the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month challenges, hurdles, busyness of work, these clients' emails, prospects, the institute, uh, quality visits and so on. Um, and the reason they've got the wrong people doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, it's just because it's out of necessity rather than out of planning. Um, where do they start? What are the first steps to get to a place where they can readdress this busyness and become more effective and therefore become a better guide and advisor to their clients? Well, first of all, do they know that they're having these problems? I mean, generally, the the answer is, yeah, probably. I mean, they would, wouldn't they? They know because they're experiencing it. But um, I suppose it goes back in a way to doing that that team thing, that actually listening to your employees. Um, you know, um, one of the things that I like to do with businesses is um, is do the SWOT analysis on the business in the first place. Because what are do you mm. know what your strengths, what your weaknesses are, your opportunities and your threats? Um, and from doing that exercise, you can then highlight those really. Um, you know, high importance, high value tasks that have to be addressed. Um, because if you don't mm. start addressing them, you are not going to make the progress. So, uh, and then this goes back then to this weekly cadence, because once you've done that and you've listened to your employees, you've listened to the people who you are expecting to deliver this service, you know, if they can't do it, you need to know that they can't do it and you need to know why they can't do it. And you need to address those issues um, because you cannot, Mm. if if you try to force your people down this road, then you're not going to have happy people Mm. and you won't retain them. And then that gives you a bigger problem, doesn't Mm. it? So you have to tackle it. You can't avoid it. Um, So, you know, Mm. do, do that analysis of looking at your own business what the issues are within your business, what the opportunities are, and then really focus on those high important, high value tasks that you need to execute. You need to get, you need to deal with it and you need to be addressing this on a weekly basis because you will Mm. not make the progress if you don't do that. Mm. Yeah. So if they've worked out so strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, stress, they can see the issues and opportunities that maybe they're not tackling. Um, if they actually bring that weekly cadence, as you call it, which is a fabulous word, um, you know, the rhythm is there and something, however small, happens every week to address one of those high value, high importance issues, then they're going to have 52 yeah. small steps towards actually alleviating the, the, the difficulties, I guess. That's really That's neat. Right. Um there's and can i just say paul if you manage to achieve this within your own business then you are talking with authority when you then talk to business owners well well said gary i i I always use the phrase uh, you've got to earn the right so you tackle it internally you earn the right to then sit in a room with your clients and and facilitate and help and guide them doing similar things um yeah. Marvellous. Uh, okay, it, it, it sounds like uh, you are definitely human obsessed because we, we keep coming back to the, the, the team involvement piece uh, repeatedly, which is great because I'm, 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 it's one of one of our core values is, you know, team first. If uh, if anyone thinks they're better than the team as a whole, then they're in the wrong business. Um what, what, what for you are the key elements of building that sense of we're all in this together? I know we've touched on, you know, two or three things already in, in this discussion. I'm just trying to narrow down the summary, if you will, as to, right, if we've got a really good, strong team that are connected and believe and are motivated, then we're going to succeed more than if we haven't. What do you, how would you summarise the two or three or four essential elements of building that highly engaged, highly motivated team? 
I, I think if you actually have that feeling that um, you are supporting each other and that you are mm. you are there to help each other, um, then you know that that's a really strong foundation. Um, and in order to achieve that, people have got to feel that um, you are you are honest and that you know what you say is what you really believe. Um, and I do I do believe that it's so important. You know, actions um, are so important because words we we words anybody can say words. You know, they they mm. they're quite cheap currency. Really, it's only when you deliver with what you do that people can see mm. that you are genuine. Um, so mm. I think being genuine is really really important, um, and and being accountable. You know, uh, if you and, and to to actually have that environment where people can say what they really think and feel and feel that they, you know, that they will be listened to and um, and that you will work together to to find what the solution is. Mm. That that to so, me is you, what a team, a, a good team. OK, the, the, a few things in there. One, one is that an environment in which they can be open and speak so we're talking about they feel safe to be able to say what's on yeah. their mind um but what what do leaders do in order to create that you know to, yes let's create a supporting helping environment we're there for each other is yeah it's, it, it, that's right and creating a safe environment yes that's right but how? how how does a leader how do you create an environment where we are supporting each other and, and it is safe to speak out because something concerns you I think um, by not be not treating people in a silo way, I think, you know, one of the things I've really seen um, that some managers do is that they will deal with an individual and they will position things individually um, which, so that they can achieve what that manager wants at the end of the day. I think I think collectively having people around a table to actually talk to you know that face to face for me I, I mean i know with covid mm. that's been a bit more challenging but yeah. i i'm a real believer in face to face um i i think you you have to get people together so that they can uh talk and share um mm. that that's what's worked for me in the past and i think just by by breaking down the hierarchy, Paul, as well, you know, by being in an environment where everybody feels that they're on the same level so that they can mm. say what they think and, um, you know, feel that they're being listened to and valued. Yeah. I, I keep coming back to that valued. Yeah. Uh, listeners, regular listeners to this podcast will hear me refer to the Sorota and Mercer uh, research with millions of employee surveys pointing to what really matters if you want to build a highly motivated team and um, that um, sense of fairness is the starting block mm. you can't have a sense of achievement yeah. or a sense of we're all in this together camaraderie if it doesn't feel fair and and a key element to that um, feeling fair is that everyone is treated as a human whether they're the cleaner the managing director an engineer a designer it, it's everyone's a human, which I think is the point you, you you're making yeah. very well there, um, and 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 also, I refer a lot to the the science of habit. Is what what do you do to trigger a behaviour change, to trigger new behaviours, and creating the right setting is crucial to that. And you've just pointed to a round table where people have all got a mug of coffee in their hands or whatever, actually unpacking an issue or an opportunity is a setting that ultimately sponsors that, yes, we are all in this together and everyone does get a voice. As, um, as, as lo and, and, and that's easier if everyone's treated as an equal human being. I love that, Gay, thank you very much. Um, yeah, and, and I Gabe, just want to say as well, Paul, on, that, sorry. you know, you have, so I just wanted to say that, you know, sometimes you cannot, um, you cannot do what you would like to do. Um, you know, sometimes you cannot, you just cannot um, 
uh, you, you sometimes you have to toe the company line and but you have to be honest about it you know if you cannot do something that everybody you know wants at the end of the day uh, because that's not uh, what the what the um, you know the corporate position is then be honest about it you know explain the situation and people mm. would much rather you were honest and open than um, you know just try to fob off a situation because people see through it um, yeah. and like I say yeah, it is yeah. not words it is actions you have to follow through mm. and that's where you get the trust brilliant I guess that uh, that makes sense in a corporate setting when you've got a, a, a business mm. owner a partner of a you know, sole practitioner or, you know, three partners, six partners, 10, 18 partners. Ultimately, it's an owner-managed business. So there isn't a corporate diktat. They can mm. do whatever they want to do. So how, how do we retranslate that? You can't always do what you want to do because some corporate body says you can't. That doesn't work in a OMB, okay. owner-managed business, uh, you know, s small to medium-sized accountancy practice. How would you? How would you twist that so it still fits okay well i suppose you know at the end of the day you know people understand that uh, this is their business um and if you explain where you are taking the business and why you are going in the direction that you're going and why you want it to go that particular way then hopefully that should be enough if people disagree with that they could they should be able to say but um it's just it really is about having that conversation and, and people, you know, have to accept at the end of the day that it is their business and, you know, th these are their choices. And, and that's a key word, choice at the end of the day. You know, you choose to be in that business. You, you don't have to stay mm. if you don't agree with the direction that it's going. Um, and, you know, so long as mm. we're all grown up and we understand that, you know, you, you cannot run a business for every individual you have to understand what your mission is your purpose is where you're taking the business and hopefully that message is communicated in such a way that you know the employees the people who work with you want to go on that journey too it's, it really is about mm. trying to take them along on that journey mm. uh, what i take from that gay is this yes you might be sole practitioner yes you might be one of eight partners um and your team will look at you and go, well, it is your business. You can do what you want. Um, you can do what you think's right. I might disagree with it. Uh, but what you've also pointed to is if if a partner, director, owner of a, of, an, of a firm has together worked out their core purpose, the future vision of the business, what values and behavioral standards they stand for, you've got another reference point for setting out what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're going to do it. It's not just about, you know, personal choice. There is a reference point, a cornerstone for, well, look, our core purpose, my core purpose, humanise the numbers. Um, if your core purpose is better business, better lives, then, you know, we've got to do things. We've got to take action, as you quite rightly say, that takes us in that direction. And if you, if you don't want to uh, work in a firm who's focused on, the better lives of the people in the firm it's just about you you don't fit and you'll make a choice and leave um yeah but, but i think it's a brilliant way to um head towards the end of this discussion because it's not just about the business leader if they're going to explain why they're doing something it's not just so that it fills their pockets we're doing we're doing it for a deeper better stronger reason which is the core purpose of the business um, Gay, of everything we've touched on today in this discussion, and it's been far ranging, if, if you were to zero in on the, the, the one thing that, um, in your experience of running businesses um, as general manager, as being a key player in finance teams and so on, what would you point to as being the, um, the one vital, most valuable aspect of our conversation today? It's about, it's about the people. You do not do it on your own and and uh, people and passion and so the big question then is how do we build passion and then i think we're back to purpose meaning and and connecting um those dots up mm. um yeah. gabe that's been brilliant i really appreciate you um sharing your insights and your experiences and allowing me to um 
sound off a little bit as well, which is always part of this. I'm just trying to connect what uh, what we we've learned and what I've learned, and and, and what more can learn from um, you know your experience on this call. Um, and of if there was a word that I got repeated more than anything else is we've got to get over to our team why something's happening, and uh, you know we're in a, a, a state of high flux economic Ukraine. COVID, you know, all these things and lots of other things are at play and, um, you know, better communications, you know, being able to answer the reasons behind our decisions and, and have open, transparent and caring, safe conversations seems to be the uh, underpinnings, which is why I think this is a really valuable podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Gay, we've gone off and now I just wanted to come back into a discussion because you've just thrown up a, an interesting point. So okay. we're just off off podcast talking about um, setting being important. And, and you said, well, sometimes I have to manage setting in order f for, to, for, for me to help manage my confidence. What do you mean? Yeah. What's that about? OK, so when I've had to and I've had to have uh, quite a few difficult conversations, as you can imagine, uh, with some of, of what I've spoken about, um, that I've, I have actually used that I am sat at this side of the table um, having this discussion with you and that has actually helped me to be more confident having that discussion. Right. Um, yeah, so, How's you know, that just because... What, what is it about that that's worked? Um, because I... It, it it's reinforced my position okay right. and so and you know i i am very much about people i am absolutely about pe making people feel comfortable but i i also mm. have an issue with that myself okay at times mm. so what have i needed to do in order to make me feel that i can have this conversation um difficult conversation mm. and be confident in what i say and sometimes that's been about mm. where I've sat at the table. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And we started this conversation, I was talking about a, a, a piece with a, a leader of a firm from uh, before this podcast, uh, talking about a difficult conversation with a team member who ended up either freezing or ending up in tears each time they had a, an accountability conversation. Not whether you're going to get fired or just, a, you know, there's mm. work to be done and it's either worked well or it's not and, and that needed to be attended to. And I quizzed this particular leader on where he was sat compared with his team member and um, they were either side of a desk, which is just has that feeling of confrontation. Um, and what you've done is taken that, well, sometimes that's what you want. You you want to have that um, barrier in place to uh, create a sense for you and for the person on the other side that this is um, this is a confrontation or this is you know or an important conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but that but earlier on in the podcast we talked about get people around a table. We touched on get people around a round table creates a completely yeah. different setting. Um, yeah. I, no, I appreciate you sharing that, Gay, because often on, on these podcasts, um, we don't get into the space of, well, you know, I'm not perfect. I have difficulty. I have uh, yeah. some reservations yeah. and uh, imposter syndrome, this and so on. And it's, uh, it's just good to hear that um, we can use uh, setting to change that and influence our own state to better manage difficult positions. And I think being conscious of it is really important. Um, mm. You know, like you say, because you have to be... Um, aware of how other people will feel around that table and the setting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, it really is about uh, you have to be conscious about about other people, what they're perceiving. Yeah, big issue. The the um, I, I did some research recently on some um, research projects going on in, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology (MIT) around creating safe environments. So if you create this sense of safety uh, you you don't your team and you don't get into fight flight and freeze um so what i'll do is i'll put up there's a I've, I've written a short report business breakthrough report on my findings in that space so i'll stick that in the show notes which i think is rel relative to the, relevant rather to this conversation um okay thanks for allowing me to uh, jump back on this uh, recording just to pull that little gem out thank you very much
You'll find more valuable discussions with the leaders of ambitious accounting firms at humanisethenumbers.online. You can also sign up to be notified each time a new podcast is made available. This podcast series, Humanise the Numbers, has been made possible thanks to the support of our sponsors, My Work Papers, Advanced Track, Satago and VFD Pro. Visit humanisethenumbers.online Click the logo of each sponsor and you'll hear what our podcast interviewees have to say about the sponsor's services. You're about to hear a short snippet from a podcast discussion with Joe Soul of Soul Associates, an eight-person firm in Surrey. If you like what you hear, please go to your favourite podcast platform or go to humanisethenumbers.online. Um, well, to, me, to begin with, it was um, it's something that is outside of their comfort zone. So it's for, um, I mean, there's only three team members within our firm uh, that that are that I'm coming along on the journey uh, to deliver the the you know this kind of service. Um, and of those, really, one of them is is older than than me, believe it or not. So, uh, and he has a kind of more of a compliance mindset. So, so it's so for them, it's been quite difficult to join up the dots to go from what they've been used to be doing all their the whole career to doing something different. But certainly for the younger ones. Um, they do recognise that it is a big opportunity for them to learn new skills, valuable skills, um, and they they can from from when we started, uh, there was a bit of uh, just being unsure whether this whether this would actually translate into any change within our firm uh, um, internally as well as how we deliver. Our, services to their clients but as as we have developed and pushed forward they're now beginning to see the, the benefits of what we're doing so financially um, you know our, our numbers are up uh, because we are driving up our fees our average fees per client because we're, we're adding more value to the, the service we're giving clients options to kind of upgrade their service um, and um, have more more of the, the, the advisory uh, type services. So so they are beginning to see that, but it's very much um, a confidence issue. It's not something they've done before, and they need to. They you know they need a bit of handholding um, to do it. And and I have to say, it's it's something. It's not just the team. You know, uh, it, 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 you know I, I wasn't confident in, in having these different conversations and not knowing what to expect as a reaction from clients. Uh, it, you know, it, it, when you do something outside your comfort zone to begin with, you, you're going to lack confidence. But as you, the more you do of it, the more confident you become, and the easier it becomes. So we're in that process. <laughs>